The sermon is titled, The Bread That Satisfies. The Bread That Satisfies. And uh, have you ever said this to yourself? Maybe you heard somebody say this before. If I only had this, whatever it is, fill in the blank, I'd be set. You know, if I only had my diploma done, I'd be set. If I only had this job or this wife, I'd be set, right? If I only could move into that neighborhood, I would be set. You know, if my health would just get better, I would be set. And the world offers many different choices for things to satisfy our hearts. I mean, is that not true? I mean, look, turn on the television. Every commercial is bent on telling you, you need to have this, right? I mean, this is the world that we live in. And I mean, there are only temporary satisfaction. They may satisfy us for a moment, but it's temporary. I mean, ask Rockefeller when they ask him, how much is enough money? Just one more dollar, he said, right? Tom Brady, after winning a bunch of championships as a younger man, says, why do I feel so empty? Solomon seeked after relationships in hundreds and thousands of women later, he still felt empty. I mean, this is the lie of all time, that something of this world could make us satisfied. This is what we're talking about. What ultimately satisfies us? Well, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, as uh, Pastor Victor talked about. The bread of life. And so today, in no unclear terms, we're talking about Jesus Christ, who alone satisfies, not just for a temporary moment, but for eternity. So get your mind right. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about how Jesus Christ satisfies. And we're going to take, uh, together as a church family, we're going to taste him. We're going to taste his goodness today through the preaching of Mark chapter 6, 30 to 44. So if you have your Bibles... I would highly encourage you to bring your Bibles, and if you have your phones, turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 30, verse 44. And as you're turning there, a little bit of context. There are only two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. Only two miracles. One, for obvious reasons, the resurrection of Christ. Praise God. Every single Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record that incredible miracle. The other miracle... The feeding of the 5,000, what we're doing, uh, going over today. So this is obviously significant to the Spirit of God to add this into every single gospel. So there's a lot to learn about how, how satisfying the Lord Jesus Christ is. And uh, so let's rise as we read this together. The, the 12 disciples just completed their first mission, and now the Lord is giving them some rest, seemingly, and then all of a sudden things change rather quickly. So we're going to go from Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. The the disciples just got done with their first missionary trip. Verse 30. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And the people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and began saying, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. 
But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept them, kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. Verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of scripture. Thank you, Father, that you would designate this miracle to be recorded in all four gospels. I pray your spirit help us to see the greatness of Christ. And I pray your spirit will allow us to embed these truths deep into our hearts. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's have a seat. Thank you, everybody. This one question that we're going to be asking, how does Jesus Christ satisfy? And just so we can follow along a little bit easier, I'm going to give you the four points. The bread of life satisfies our relational needs. The bread of life satisfies our spiritual needs. The bread of life satisfies our ministry needs. And fourthly, the bread of life satisfies our physical needs. All right? Now, before we get into it, let's imagine with me a little bit. I want you to imagine when the church family have one mind about this, the setting here. This is a desolate place. This is the wilderness, as, as some may translate this. An inhabited place. And here, let's imagine us as one of the 12 disciples. We just went on a rigorous missions trip, preaching every day, multiple times, healing, casting out demons, showing compassion to many people. And now the Lord, our Lord says, all right, let's get together. Tell me what happened. And we share what happened. And then the Lord says, all right, let's get away by ourselves. We need a little R&R. We need a little retreat. We need a pastor's retreat. I remember this when I was a coach after, I don't know, six months of 90 hours worth a week, uh, uh, 90 hours per week uh, work weeks. When that season was over, however it ended, I was ready to do nothing for a while, okay? And coach wisely gave us some time off. It appears that this is what the Lord is doing here. But verse 33, providentially it says this, And the people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. And how many people? Well, verse 44 says there are 5,000 men. Now this is not counting the women, so if you double that, that's 10,000. It's not even counting the children. It could be 15,000, 20,000 people all of a sudden show up, eventually show up at your retreat site. All right? So think about this now. Keep in mind, you're one of the disciples, you're human, and you're worn out. And all of a sudden, all these people come. The training is continuing, obviously. The Lord is preparing the 12. The Lord is preparing us to do ministry beyond when the Lord ascends back into heaven. So let's, let's look at the first point here. The bread of life satisfies our relational needs. Look at verse 34 with me. And when Jesus went ashore, he got out of the boat, came to shore, he saw a large crowd. 
eventually, which would be about 20,000 people, and he felt compassion for them. That's what the Bible says. The Lord felt compassion. The all-powerful, the all-knowing God steps out of his boat, thinking, I'm going to rest. Keep in mind, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. He's tired, too. And he has 12 other men be inside the boat who are getting off the boat thinking, what are we going to do here now? Let's go to the other location. The Lord felt compassion. And he sees the crowd. He sees every single one of us. He sees the crowd. And this is this word compassion. Is, he was deeply moved. In other words, to describe it literally from the original language, this word compassion means he, his innards were moved. He was stirred inside. He had a visceral reaction within him. To, so he was emo, physically and visibly emotional about seeing the people. And the disciples, as we're disciples, could be watching, we'd be like, wow. The Lord may have even been crying at this point. Right? Remember when he was stirred at Lazarus' tomb? He says, Jesus wept. There's a good chance the Lord was crying as he saw so many lost people. God has always been this way. That's why there's stories that says that the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. That's why it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Love is a motivation that he sent his one and only begotten son. Love is a motivation, compassion for the lost. And the Lord shows us perfectly as, as we're just sitting on the boat watching the Lord come onto the shore. In Lamentations, verse 3 uh, of chapter 3, 22 to 23, it says this, The loving kindness of Yahweh the sacrificial love of the will, the committed love of Yahweh, Yahweh is the name of God, never cease, for his compassion never fails. And this word compassion in the Old Testament could also, it comes from the root, root word for womb, as in the mother's womb. So God loves his people like a mother loves his children. I mean, this is the type of compassion the Lord is showing. They are, and it goes on, Lamentations goes on and says, They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We know that song. They're new every morning. It's like a fresh batch of manna is given every morning so for us to experience the love and mercy and compassion of our God. It's available to us all the time, in other words. And since man is made in God's image. Remember what he said in Genesis? Let us make man in our image, in our triune God image. That means that God made us to be relational creatures. We care about being in relationship. It matters that we know that somebody out there loves me and somebody cares for me. If you say it doesn't matter, you don't know yourself very well. All right? God is a relational God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in perfect love relationship from all eternity past, and we're made in that image. So it matters that you could, I mean, you could be a tough guy. I, I understand what that's like. But deep inside, it matters that at least one other person cares about you. And so that we have this deep relational hunger within us and a deep longing to know that we're love. And right here, clearly, the Lord shows us that He loves His people. But it's interesting, I know we've heard a lot about the loving kindness and the compassion of our God. We even sing it. Do you actually believe it? Right? I mean, in, in the events of your life, do you actually believe that Jesus Christ, God himself, sees you? 
he sees what you're going through and he actually cares. Cares to the point where he stirred within him. I mean, he's God. I mean, I get it. We get a bunch of emails, texts. You see newspaper things. And at some point, we could get desensitized to this because there's only so much we can handle. But remember, Jesus Christ is God. He's eternal. He sees everything. He sees every hurt. He sees every disappointment. He sees every setback. And he deeply cares for you and me, his people. I think we need to think about that. I think we need to meditate on the fact that Jesus loves you and me. And is a deep compassion for you and me. Like a mother will have for her, her newborn child. This is how the Lord loves us. A point of application is this. I mean, youth, I know how hard it could be. Like we, I keep encouraging youth because the youth are a big burden on my heart. I mean, he knows if you are fitting in or not at school. He understands this. He sees everything. He sees the motives of people's hearts. He, he sees your apprehension at school. He knows and he cares. Maybe you're battling cancer right now. He sees you at the doctor's appointment. He sees you as you're getting treatment. He sees you as you, certain fears and thoughts about your kids may be passing through. He sees all this and he cares. He's right there with you at every single moment of it. I mean, this, this is how we need to start thinking about our God. See, we may be designed to think, okay, Jesus Christ dutifully obeyed the Father and came to earth. Right? And in some ways, we may be, uh, it's dutiful for me to be here at church because this is what I'm supposed to do. And it could feel like a kind of a transactional sort of a type of relationship, but this is nothing that our Bible describes. Jesus Christ has a deep affection for his people. It matters. Parents who are battling and struggling over their prodigal children, grown adults who are making their own choices, he sees. Keep offering your prayers to him. Keep sharing with other people so they can support you in it. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. So the Lord meets and satisfies our relational needs. We are loved. Even if no man loves us, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, loves you if you're in Christ. Let's go to the next point. The bread of life satisfies our spiritual needs. Spiritual needs. Let's, get, let's turn to verse 34 again. He saw a large crowd. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Look at where it goes to. Just like Brother Dave talked about. Teaching the word. Preaching the word. This is what shepherding is primarily about. It starts right there. And that's where Jesus says, these people need a shepherd. And I'm going to start teaching them. Right? And there it is. What a great illustration of what, what we're talking about here. And what happens? How serious is this? A sheep, sheep without a shepherd. I was just talking to a friend this past week, and one of their relatives takes care of animals. This is their second job. They have another job. This is a second job when there's stray dogs. This, this organization takes care of them, and they try to find a home for them. Maybe you're a dog lover, so you know what I'm talking about. You're driving. You see this great-looking dog just running around with no one to take care of. You know something bad's going to happen to that dog. But maybe perhaps you have that prick your heart. Well, the Lord felt even infinitely more for his people who are without 
a shepherd because sheep are not very bright. Dogs have a better chance roaming the streets to survive. Sheep have no chance, even in the wilderness. Sheep are not very smart, okay? Even if there's grass over there, about 50 yards away, they'll stay right there. If there's like poisonous mushrooms here, good grass right there, they'll eat the poisonous mushrooms and kill themselves. If there's a cliff and they're following one of the other sheep and they see the sheep fall in front of them, they're going to follow that sheep and fall into the cliff and kill themselves. All right, Sheep are not very smart. This is a perfect illustration. And sheep and shepherd metaphors are all over the Old Testament. Particular sheep cannot defend themselves from predators, wolves and Lions and other animals, there's sitting ducks. They're going to get eaten up and be used up as food. So the Lord knew what would happen to these people. They would die. In particular, they would die spiritually. And in this day, there are many false shepherds. The Pharisees were using the people to raise themselves up, to create their own platform, to create their own prestige. The kings, like King Herod, I mean, he only took care of himself. He didn't even take care of his own family members. These were the type of leaders and spiritual leaders that the Israelites were uh, surrounded with at the time. Even in the Old Testament, the Lord rebukes the false shepherds for saying visions of their own. They're talking false things, or they, and they, would, they only took care of themselves. In Ezekiel 34, says, they did not bind up the brokenhearted. They did not help those who were sick. They scattered the sheep. They didn't care. Matter of fact, they killed the sheep so they could eat and use the wool. I mean, they were using the people, in other words. And so this is nothing new. In the history of Israel, this is what it's been like. Bad kings. Most of the kings have been horrible kings. Kings that would take advantage of the people, take advantage of women and children. This is what they were like. Therefore, what did the crowd look like to Jesus, the Lord? They didn't have it all together. They may have looked like they had it all together. They may have looked apart as if they're moral and and headed in the right direction. They were hopeless, aimless, and just meandering around. But look what the Lord says in Ezekiel 34. You have your Bibles or have a note, write this down. You need to read Ezekiel 34 in one of your devotional times. Ezekiel 34, I'm going to skip around a little bit. From 1 through uh, 10, it's talk Jesus or the God, Yahweh is rebuking the false shepherds. But from verse 11, look what God does. It stirs God so much in heaven that this is what he decides to do. Verse 11, Ezekiel 34, 11, right before Daniel, after Lamentations. I, verse 11, for thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I myself will seek my sheep and care for them. God himself will take care of the sheep. Forget these false shepherds. I will come and take care of my sheep. And here's Jesus showing up in Mark chapter 6, just like the Lord says he would do. Let's let's jump down to verse 14. I will shepherd them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and be shepherded in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. What does he have the people do? Sit down on the green grass. Mark chapter 6, verse 15. I will shepherd my flock. This is Yahweh speaking. I will make them lie down, declared the Lord Yahweh. I will search for the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. This is what the Lord says he will do for his people And here is Jesus Christ in the flesh fulfilling this promise. 
And how do we know this, this portion is meant for Jesus Christ? Go down a little bit more in Ezekiel 34, verse 23. This is a messianic prophecy. Okay, this is the meaning of foretelling that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is coming. Then I will establish over them one shepherd. Okay, I'm not your shepherd. No, pastor, here's your shepherd. Jesus Christ is our shepherd. Let me keep reading. My servant David, he will become come out of the line of David. David's been long gone. Kings uh, uh, have been cut off from the line of David. Who's going to take over? My servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will shepherd them himself and be their shepherd. In verse 34, 24, excuse me. And I, Yahweh, will be their God. And my servant David, talking about Christ, will be prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. What else do you need to know? God has always, always had a plan to take care of us. Do, do, do we need to worry? No. God's had this amazing plan out of this compassion for his people. And as I think about this portion here, about how the Lord has a heart to shepherd his people, there's a lot of wandering sheep today. In the world that I came out of, maybe in your office, you could, you, you know a professing believer, what church are you a part of? I don't know, I have one. I just go online and listen to some sermons. I've had that a lot. There's a lot of wandering sheep today. Kind of ch- checking the menu of sermons out of YouTube, right? I mean, it's a YouTube church maybe, you know? And today there are more and more false teachers even from back then. And all kinds of false teachers have a platform. <laughs> all you need is some social media account, and you have a platform now. False leaders, I mean, you may have your complaints about the government and other things, but this is the day and age that we live in. No different. What do you think the Lord is seeing right now? He's, he's has compassion for his sheep who don't even have an under-shepherd. And it says he began to teach many things. There are cults that are taking people into their churches, their false churches, fooling them because the people haven't been equipped well enough to know the difference. This is happening, sadly, uh, to tell you. If you're looking for a local church, and I know I'm looking at mostly of our evergreen people, but if you're looking for a local church, you need to come under Christ. Christ is appointed under shepherds. Under shepherds like me and other pastors who will teach the Word of God, who will teach you God's Word. Ace is an opportunity for that, as Brother Dave talked about. We want to equip the saints for such a dark time that it is, and it's going to get darker. We want to make sure this pulpit is strong as possible so that we're preaching the Bible so that you know the difference, so that you can have a confidence in when, even when it gets hard, God loves me. As we learned earlier, we need to have other brothers and sisters where you can speak the truth and love to one another. Where it goes beyond the pulpit. It goes beyond ace where in your day-to-day living, you're encouraging each other with God's word. We need this. This is an essential. And in some ways, I know this is not a mandate necessarily, but there's a lot of prudence in becoming a member here at Evergreen Baptist Church of St. Gabriel Valley because unless we formalize a relationship, we don't know what we actually want, right? But as soon as we formalize, define the relationship, so to speak, then we know how to engage with one. We know that we want the same thing. We want to be discipled. 
This is what this is about. Church membership is about discipleship. And we'll have one coming up again this year, a class. If you're interested, talk to us. But even if it's not even evergreen, become a formal member of a good, solid Bible-teaching local church, right? That's what we're talking about. Have an under-shepherd. Come underneath an under-shepherd. Otherwise, if you're riding alone, you're like that sheep that's lost to your own thoughts with predators and cliffs and poisonous things all over you. You need an under-shepherd as we come under our main shepherd. Let's move on to the third point here. The bread of life satisfies not only our relational needs, our spiritual needs, now our ministry needs. Because sheep that come into the fold are called to exercise their gifts. We're called to serve the kingdom, whether at the local church or also maybe globally. And verse 35 to 41 of Mark 6, this is a situation Jesus has been teaching in, in, in John, it says he climbed up a hill, and he's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching. And as he's rising up in the teaching, the sun is going down, and the 12 disciples are saying, they're, they're thinking pragmatically, how are we going to take care of these people? Lord, you need to wind this down, get to the conclusion, because you need to send them out so they could get some food. Right? I mean, this is a very practical thing. And then the Lord asks in John 6, 6, so since it has all four Gospels, there's a lot of different details I could draw from, but John 6, 6, Jesus asks Philip, where are we going to get bread? <laughs> and I love this. It says the Lord asked us to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. Right? Isn't that like, like the Lord where he will test us? He already knows what's going to happen. He does that to us. And this is where... Andrew, I believe, comes back and says, oh, I found a boy. He had five loaves and two fish. So that's how the five loaves and two fish show up in Mark chapter 6. But before that, they're even almost rebuked. The Lord says, hey, send them away. He's, he's, I mean, I don't know how that works. Lord, send them away. It's like you're telling the Lord what to do, right? I mean, how, how does that work? But the Lord says, no, you feed them, right? You're here as a training grounds. You need to feed them. And then one of them sarcastically says, well, it's 2,000 denarii enough to feed these people? I mean, they didn't even have 2,000, uh, 200 denarii. That's 200 days worth of work for a laborer. I mean, they didn't have that type of funding. I mean, it was a very sarcastic answer. The Lord is patient. I mean, sometimes that may sound like our prayers. What am I supposed to do, Right? How am I supposed to do this, Lord? The Lord patiently, compassionately waits on us to kind of think things through. I mean, the 12, they, they saw obstacles, right? They, they just saw like just obstacles, all the problems. Jesus saw an incredible opportunity. So what does he do? Well, verse 39, he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. I don't know why, but my mind is drawn to Psalm 23. He lays me down on green pastures. On Ezekiel 34, he says, the shepherd will lie them down on green pastures, on good pastures. And here it is. uh, In Mark 6, he commanded them to all sit down by groups on the green grass. And he gets the five loaves and two fish. What does he do? He looks towards heaven. This is very emblematic of how the Lord responded when Lazarus at the tomb is looking to heaven. When the deaf man comes up in, in, in Mark 7, he's looking towards heaven. And this shows a posture of of complete dependence on the Father. 
where the disciples were looking at the bread, the, the money, the people. Jesus was looking at the Father. He was looking to heaven. And then the miracle happens where 20,000 people are fed. Roughly 20,000 people are fed. We go to Staples Center. You're, they go over to Intercom. Hey, Ryan, you got to feed the 20,000 people. I, I want to have my nachos. I mean, right? All of a sudden, 20,000 people are fed. I have 20,000 people are fed. Exodus 16, where Sister Janet read, in essence, God opens up the windows of heaven and rains down bread from heaven. This is exactly what happened again, which happened in the wilderness. The Lord pulls off exactly what he did in Exodus 16. This is exactly that the, the Jews should have known. Okay, something seems eerily familiar from what my memory recalls about Exodus 16. And why did the Lord cause uh, manna to come and, and, and meat to come down from heaven in Exodus 16? Well, it says in Exodus 16, verse 12, At twilight you shall eat meat, at night in the evening you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, the manna. Why? So that you shall know that I am Yahweh your God. The Lord Jesus Christ was showing him. I mean, can you imagine just bread, bread, bread? I don't know how long that took. Bread, 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 bread. To show that he is God himself. It's not about the bread now, church. I know this is a vehicle. If it's, something happened today, God may have used something else. <laughs> For us, it might have been the rice, rice, rice. I don't know, but... <laughs> I love rice, that's why, you know. And this is, bread was a staple for the Jewish people. It's a flat pita bread type of thing, right? But this was not about the bread. This is about showing that he is Yahweh, their God in the flesh. I mean, even in this preaching, I, I, I am praying, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't want to rely on my notes here. I have some notes here just so it helps. I, I need that. and My mind is wired where I need some, some, some signs, some lights to kind of guide me, landing lights here. But it's about the power of God. Even this preaching, I mean, who would have thought preaching would save lives? Unto eternity. Who would have thought that? Why can't I just have a bread-making ministry, right? It's not that. Jesus taught first as he shepherded them, and then he took care of them. But it was about the preaching. It was about the teaching. Jesus says in Mark 1, this is what I came for. The disciples were sent out to preach. Go make disciples, Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all that I command you, Brother Dave read. Preaching. So when it comes to ministry, people may ask you, hey, would you like to get involved with this? Or maybe you have this burden, this burning desire. That's what happened to me. I had this, this little seed of studying the Word and preaching. It just took root, and it started growing and growing and growing and growing. And, and of course, at first, I had a lot of excuses, like, ah, I don't know, this is, doesn't seem to make sense, or I don't have the time. This is working out pretty good here, so why would I change? You may be thinking those sort of things. Where do your eyes go to when it's time for you to get involved with ministry? I'm not even talking full-time vocational ministry as a preacher or a missionary. Do your eyes go to the five loaves and two fish? Do your eyes go to the people, the complaining people or other things? Or do your eyes go to heaven and say, All right, Father, you want me to do this, make it happen. 
That's the issue here. Our eyes need to be like the Lord's eyes, looking to heaven. This is the key. Are are our eyes looking towards heaven? Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. If it was all lined up, if all the funds were there, if all the time was there, it's all, it won't cost me anything. That's no faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, who's ready to open up the windows and rain down whatever you need, if he's called you to do this. I think of Brother Adam and Sabrina. Next week, we'll be commissioning them. Make sure you're here. We want to send them off with the full weight of Evergreen's love and, and support. We'll be commissioning them. They're finally able to depart to uh, Japan on March 1st. I mean, that's fast. That's coming up. And I know they counted the cost. Trust me, I hear the reports. I've talked to them. I know they try to organize things as much as possible. But of course, there's a bunch of unknowns too. There's a lot of faith involved there to leave here, to leave relationships, friends, in and out, other things, to go to Japan, right? I mean, there's, there's, this is what they're doing here. There's faith involved here. And I pray that their eyes are heavenward. And of course, the, the encouragement will come from the saints and, and all that, but their eyes need to be on the Lord. That's all of us, really. Dependence upon the Father. It's not about the bread. It's not about the fish. But God will multiply what he's given you providentially if he's called you to do this. Finally, let's go to the fourth point. The bread of life satisfies our relational needs, our spiritual needs, our ministry needs. Now the bread of life satisfies our physical needs. Verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. (laughs) 20,000 people ate and they were full. Verse 43. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. Above and beyond. Beyond their expectations, they were full. Notice we said in this point, he provides for our, our satisfies our physical needs, not physical wants. There's a big difference, right, church? Where there's our wants and our needs. Matthew 6, the Lord teaches about, aren't you more valuable than the birds in the air? Aren't you more valuable than the fields where the Lord, who God clothes with the lilies of the field? How much more will he care for your needs? Doesn't the Lord in Matthew 6 also teach the disciples? This is how you pray. Father, give us this day our daily bread. It's not just bread. It's what you need to live and to keep going as, as the Lord would will to have us on this side of eternity. We don't need to have a po- poverty mentality here, guys. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not a prosperity gospel preaching church. We, you know this. But God will provide what you need. 
If you're anxious about gas prices, anxious about housing prices, anxious about how you're going to send your kids to college or whatnot, how am I going to pay for the medical bills, God will provide what you need. And he provides lavishly oftentimes, as he did here in Mark chapter 6. He's a lavish God. Not a stingy God. Oh, I have to. Are you kidding me? This is a drop in the bucket for him, right? It's nothing. He gives out of his abundance, according to his abundance, so to speak. To finish up here, church, just to make sure the point is clear, I ask that question, if only I can get dot, 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 I'd be all set. I think of Israel as we're wandering in the wilderness for 40 hot years. Every day they must have thought, if only we could get into the promised land. It's a land filled with milk and honey. We'd be set. A very logical thought. As you're wandering, and I'm wandering in the wilderness, you may have that sort of expectation or thought as well. If only I could get to retirement, right? I'd be set. Well, they did get into the promised land. A whole generation was killed off, but their children got in. Praise God. God was true to his promise. God is always good on his promises. But it only took one generation for the people to resort to idolatry. That got old, is what I'm saying. The wonder of land filled with milk and honey, having their own house, having an incredible area. Uh, Israel is like Southern California. That's amazing. You know, it could get hot, but it's like Southern California. We live in paradise here, okay? This is an amazing place to live. I'm not going to kid you, okay? Ask the, ask the guys in the Midwest and the East Coast right now, okay? They, they would love it here. That's why the Rose Bowl is so popular, right? They want to come on, on in January when it's freezing out there. Israel is a land of milk and honey, that got old, church. And they start turning to the idols. They start turning to the, the foreign woman, X, Y, and Z. They did it all. So don't think, if only I get this, I will be set. Because Israel proved that that's not true. The Lord had a warning in John six twenty six. If this is you, I pray this will prick your heart so that you could course correct. Jesus answered them after the feeding of the 5,000. They came after him. They chased after got him boats and kept following him. And he knew what's in their heart. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. We can't be seeking the Lord for his blessings in that way. We, we need to... Understand this point, what the Lord is saying. He sees your heart. He sees my heart. So what is the whole point of this portion here? The whole point, if you could just remember one sentence from Mark six thirty to 44, is this, Jesus is our satisfaction. Not what he gives us, but Jesus Christ himself. Being one with Christ is our satisfaction. You'll never get tired of him. He'll never get old. It'll never lose its shine. Matter of fact, it gets brighter and brighter the longer you walk with him. You get more fired up for him. You love him more. 
you're willing to lay down more for him because he makes sense. Jesus is our satisfaction. Write that down. He satisfies our eternal souls. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. You always be satisfied. These are all metaphors, of course. You always be satisfied in me, he promises. And whatever he promises, he always makes true. He's good on his promises. So my question to you today is this. Are you the one chasing him after the food? At a, Mark, at a John chapter 6. Or do you not even know him in any level? Well, this is the question I have for you. Have you eaten the bread of life? Has your eternal soul been satisfied? Jesus alone nourishes our souls. I mean, there's nothing else. That's the whole point of this portion of Scripture. John 6, 51, we'll finish with this. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. He is the living manna. Manna is a metaphor for the Lord coming down, providing. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Eats of me, eats of Christ, takes in Christ, becomes one with Christ. And also the bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What is he saying? In other words, his flesh, talking about his body, he gave up his body. I'm going to give up my body on the cross. I'm going to lay down my life at the cross. At the cross, Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. At the cross, Jesus took on the sins of his people. At the cross, he absorbed the Father's wrath that you and I deserve, church. At the cross, Jesus was broken to reconcile us to the Father. And that, that's the transaction that happened at the cross. When he says, my flesh, he gave it up for us. How do you eat of the bread of life? How do you taste this satisfying bite? The Lord says, repent of your sins. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you have sinned against God, even in thought, in word, in deed. It, repent that, yes, I am a sinner. And believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, to pay the price for your sins, and resurrected from the grave on the third day. Believe this. And trust him enough that you will follow him as your Lord and Savior. Repenting means I turn away. I do an about face from living for myself or living for some sinful pattern. And I'm going to turn to Jesus as my Lord. I'm, my eyes are getting towards heaven. This is what this is about. Eat of the bread of life. You'll never regret it. And your oneness with Christ will grow more and more. I promise you, this is what the Lord says. He promises abundant life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. What an amazing portion of Scripture that you had in all four Gospels. It's obvious how much you love your people and how much compassion you have to the point where your innards, your guts are stirred for your people. Father, thank you for caring for our spiritual needs through Christ, how you teach us and you feed us the truth of your word. 
Thank you that you actually allow us to partner with you to, to go make disciples and you empower us to serve, Lord. Get our eyes to heaven. Get our eyes off of ourselves in this earth into heaven. Father, I pray for the lost here. I pray, Lord, that they would genuinely repent and genuinely turn to you and believe the gospel, the good news that, Jesus, you are the, the bread of life. And they would stop feeding on poisonous mushrooms of this world and feed upon you, Lord, the living bread. Father, I pray for those who need to repent of looking at you, Lord, more as a means to getting what we want, Lord. Give us a new focus to know that, Jesus, you are our satisfaction. You being with you, as you promised, that we get to be with you for eternity. Thank you that we get to be totally dependent upon you, Father, for everything, for everything. If we could depend on you for our eternity, we could depend on you for the stuff of today. We know this. Help us to believe this even more. Thank you for your great kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.